We are continuing our series on Undivided, at least that's what we're calling it, and it has been a great series. I don't know about you, but we've talked about, we've had discussions at our home that's, that's tied into this. I've heard talk in the halls. Our teenagers have been talking about it, and uh, I just think that this has been timely. So Adam, thanks for, for helping move us in this direction. It's been, it's been a, great, a great run. During the last year, as I've had chances to speak up front, uh, I've been able to share my story, uh, and, and big pieces of it, and this morning I want to fill in some of the gaps, all right? And this is all in light of this Undivided series, and, and just so you know, this is supposed to be funny, all right? As, as my, my son told someone this morning, um, oh, you mean dad was trying to be funny? So here we go, here we go. I loved music growing up, and as a young person, I spent a considerable amount of time and money listening to music. When I discovered music written and sung by Christians that gave praise to God, I was super excited. I went out and bought all the cassettes that they had. <clears throat> These groups that were singing in an in a upbeat rock style was crazy. I mean, they, there was no such thing as Joy FM or any of the other Christian stations. And as I, as I was listening to this music and was so excited, I started to try different churches. I was young, and I went to churches, and, and I found out that the drums were from the devil and that, and that God didn't appreciate this new music. Well, as an eighth grader, I often spent my weekends drinking alcohol with friends. Not, not wise, I know. Uh, but when I committed my life to Jesus, I, I was deeply disturbed to, to see that some Christians actually drink alcoholic beverages. Can you imagine that? Such immaturity. I started reading my Bible, and I loved learn, learning God's truths. And when I was young, the Good News Bible was a version that was really helpful for me. And it took the Bible and it put it in a vernacular that was easy to understand and easily readable. And, and then I heard that it wasn't really accurate to the original text and that it, I really should be reading from the New American Standard Bible. That was the accurate one. And so out of guilt, I bought the NAS Bible and I, I started to read it, but the language was hard for me to understand and, and just over time I just quit reading the Bible as much. Well, I love to sing songs to God, and, and these new praise songs I was listening to were really exciting, and they were encouraging, so I went and bought a guitar from a pawn shop. Can, can Christians go in pawn shops? I love being able to sing and now play songs to Jesus, songs like, I exalt thee, I exalt thee. I exalt thee, O Lord. Any of you remember that one? <laughs> Power to the people over 40. <laughs> then someone told me these songs were shallow, and if I was really serious about God, I'd learn to sing and play the hymns of old. Those were the real songs. When I was in high school, I loved school dances. It was fun to go to them with friends, to get dressed up and, and to have fun nights out, but, but then I found out that God doesn't believe in dancing. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> Man. 
My freshman year of college, I was living in a dorm, and one day a Christian knocked on my door and asked if we could talk. And I shared with him how I had become a Christian and how God had saved me and how God had transformed me and how excited I was about that. And then he asked if I'd been baptized. Well, of course, I was baptized as a baby, as an infant. Well, he began to inform me that if I died, I would surely go to hell, separated from God. I needed to be baptized immediately or God's wrath would not be lifted from me. I was so perplexed that I finally got baptized just to make sure I was okay. <laughs> Later in college, I sensed the need to begin helping others, so I signed up to sponsor a compassion child. I loved the compassion program. I was so excited to be making a difference in the life of this child. I was giving money each month to support him. We were writing notes back and forth to each other. I sent him money for Christmas and birthday. It was just fun to see my money making a difference in this young, this young man's life. Uh, he lived in an impoverished country in circumstances that were just hard for me to fathom. And then I heard that, that I should be supporting my local church first. And I was a college student. That, that made sense. So I dropped my support to that compassion child to tithe to a local church. Hmm. Ann and I have three beautiful children, and Ann and I also went to public schools. Guess where this is going? We loved our time in the public schools. As a matter of fact, we were able to help others to come to know Jesus, and our public school time was the best mission field we have ever found ourselves in. But once our girls became of age to go to school, uh, we heard that the public schools were a, a dangerous place. It would be far better in God's eyes to protect our children from such worldly influences. So Anne went to our first homeschool convention to, more, to learn more about this homeschooling movement. Well, later I found out that she spent a half hour in the bathroom stall crying because she'd never seen so many denim jumpers and hair buns in her life. <laughs> Is that part of the homeschool strategy? <laughs> well, eventually I became a youth pastor at a church in Indiana, and it was a really exciting time. We, we poured into teens, we had Bible studies with teens, we encouraged teens, we took teens on mission trips, we laughed with teens, we cried with teens, we loved on teens, and one week some of those teens stood up and interrupted me during my youth pastor message and audibly told me and everyone else in the room that I was all wrong in my approach. You see, they said... God had already chosen those who would follow him. So I was, in wrong, I was in the wrong for encouraging teens to make a commitment to follow Jesus. Some of the teen guys were really hard to get to know. That's all changed now, of course, but in the day. Uh, they spent all their time playing video games. So I sometimes would go and hang out with them and just play video games. Some of the games actually were quite disturbing to me, but it opened the door for me to talk to them about Jesus, doors that would have never been opened if I hadn't gone and played video games with these guys. Well, some parents found out that I played these video games, and they were pretty disappointed in, in my decision to support such an evil thing, and, and so I quit, and I often wonder what happened to those guys. One day... I bought two bottles of non-alcoholic wine to celebrate a family occasion. I'm standing in the grocery store holding these two bottles of what looked like wine, 
And I went to the check-in counter, and much to my chagrin, one of our high school students and his mom was in the line right in front of me. <laughs> was that a bad witness? I mean, did I do something wrong there? Just last week, I, uh, I took a lottery card that had been given to me as a birthday present to the gas station to get the dollar that I had won. I'm pretty sure I saw someone who knew me from church, and I'm pretty sure that the expression on their face showed that they weren't real thrilled with my integrity level. Was it wrong to collect my dollar? But now, now here I am with you, God's people. Oh, I can relax. Whew. So take out your cell phones, and let's turn to the Bible. Uh-oh. <laughs> Is that okay? Can you read the Bible from your cell phone? Well, obviously, I put all this together to prove a point. This morning, we are continuing with our series, Undivided. And after reading that list, maybe I should change the name to Divided. Um, did you feel... Did you feel the tension as I read those? And I'm pretty sure if you took the time, you could come up with your list too. It took me about a half hour to come up with three pages of items. And if I had taken another half hour, I'm pretty sure I could have come up with eight or ten pages of things just like that. No wonder the world sees Christianity as just another religion that focuses on behavior modification. How do we draw clear boundaries between what's right What's wrong between dogma, doctrine, conviction, and, and preferences? So let's just spend a minute reviewing where we've been in the last three weeks. In case, in case you haven't been here, we've spent three weeks focusing on the buckets of our dogma, our doctrine, our personal convictions, and our personal preferences. And in case you haven't been here, I would really encourage you to go to our podcast and listen to these messages. It will help fill in the gaps. And I actually think it will help you in your relationship with God to, uh, to pull some pieces together. Now, these buckets that we're talking about can be pictured in concentric circles, with the inner circle being our dogma, and as you work your way out, our doctrine, our convictions, and finally, our, our, our preferences. Three weeks ago, Adam, Adam taught that dogma is essential beliefs laid down by the authority of God's Word as true and essential to be a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. It's what we call the gospel, or what the Bible clearly articulates, God articulates to us, is the, the crux of what we as Christ followers believe, that we can be in a relationship with God through Jesus. That is our dogma. Two weeks ago, John taught us that the doctrine, our doctrine is defined as beliefs that a local body of Jesus' followers considers mandated in Scripture and is essential for unity and for fellowship. John highlighted the ten articles from the Statement of Faith of our denomination, the Evangelical Free Church of America, and he, he helped us to see that this is what we have adopted as a local body, as the tenets, the core of our doctrine. Last week, and boy am I glad Adam spoke last week. Last week, Adam tackled the tricky bucket of our convictions. 
Convictions are personal beliefs based on biblical principles, but not mandated in Scripture. And finally, this morning, I'm going to help us look at the bucket of preferences. And preferences are personal opinions which are not supported in Scripture. I wonder, I wonder how many people have been tainted and turned away from Jesus because of what they were taught was a dogma or a doctrine when in actuality it was a, a personal conviction or a personal preference. I wonder how many people we have confused by elevating things beyond Scripture because of our personal priorities. My fear for the church today is that we are seen more like Pharisees holding on to a religious behavior modification instead of being like Jesus, who always seemed to push toward the heart of the matter. The crux of his, of his interactions were pu- pushing people to what was at the heart of their decisions. And the challenge isn't new, though. And actually, uh, it goes back to the very beginning with Adam and Eve. And I want to push us back there just for a minute. And I want you to see how the problem of getting um, things mixed up with what God is actually taking, telling us and adding them to us is, is not something new. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And uh, I really do have all my notes in the Scripture on <laughs> the smartphone. If you'll go to the YouVersion Bible app and down to the bottom right corner, uh, click on to the, the options down there, and then go to Events. And when you hit Events, our calendar or our map will pull up. And if you hit our church on the map, then all of my notes and the Scriptures I'll be referring to this morning are, are all in there, plus a bunch of other good things, except you're not allowed to look at those during the message. <clears throat> Genesis 2, 15 through 17. Let's see how this scenario of adding to what God said played out even with the, the first humans. Verse 15 of chapter 2, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend it and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge and good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. That was the message from God to Adam. If you turn to the next chapter in chapter 3, let's see how this plays out. The first three verses of of chapter 3. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any tree in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit in the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Did you catch what's going on here? Did you pick up the difference? Did you catch what Eve told the serpent that God had said? Is it really what God told Adam? Where did Eve get to the point that you can't even touch it? In chapter 2, when Adam gets the direction from God, Eve hadn't even been created yet. Adam is the only human being alive. He gets this direction from God, and somehow, once Eve is is created and gets pressed, what God had said had, had some additional pieces to it. It's my opinion, and this is just my opinion, maybe a preference, 
that Adam probably added something to God's word to accentuate his point when he told Eve. Maybe, just maybe, when Eve touched the fruit and nothing happened, she lost trust in the truth of God's promise to Adam. Either way, either way, what she told the serpent had some additional words added to it. Additional words added to God's word. And even though no sin had yet been committed when all this took place, the foundation was laid for the sin of man and the need for Jesus to come years later and to die on, our cro- on a cross in our place to take care of our sin issue. Which brings me to my first point this morning. I have two points, very simple. The first one is this, adding our preferences to God's word is dangerous. Adding our preferences to God's word is dangerous. I mean, listen to what Jesus told the Apostle John at the end of what we know as the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible. When, when Jesus gave John this revelation of what was going to come, he says this. This is Revelation 22, verse 18. Jesus said, I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. I mean, this is some serious stuff to God. It appears that God would rather not have us modify what he tells us. Andy Stanley tells a story uh, about the church he grew up in, his father's church, Charles Stanley was his father. Uh, he has a church in, in uh, downtown Atlanta. And Charles Stanley's always been known as someone who has taught biblical truth. Yet listen to what Andy says in regards to this church growing up. Here's what Andy says in quotes. The church I grew up in has a terrible civil rights history. There was a season when black people were actually asked to leave the sanctuary. I know a woman who was among white people who gathered in the lobby one Sunday morning staring into the sanctuary where one lone black woman sat waiting for the service to begin. They weren't even sure what to do. And Andy closes by saying, can you imagine that? Charles Stanley's church was a Bible-teaching church. It still is a Bible-teaching church. But they added some preferences to the wrong bucket. They added no colored people in the sanctuary. And it's something they they look back on and they deeply regret, regret. They thought they were doing God's will. And yet, they were actually creating divisions that have resulted in wounds that are still open and painful today. When we add to what God says, we are on thin ice. Be careful. It may lead to the downfall of others, and it actually may lead to your own downfall. God doesn't need us to add anything to what he says. His words are able to stand on their own without us. So, adding our preferences to God's word is very dangerous. One way to think about all of these undivided buckets that's been helpful for to me to me is this. Thinking of dogma as God's pure message to us. The dogma is what God has made very clear. This is what I'm about. That's our dogma. 
And then our doctrines are what we as a local body have come together and we through prayer and meditation and reading God's word and wrestling down the truth have come to to agreement. This is our doctrine. It's a local body decision. And then our convictions, they're, they're my personal beliefs that I have developed because of reading God's word and because of my relationship with God and and with others who are in a relationship with God. And, and finally, preferences are my personal opinions on how I live that out every day. I'm a picture guy, and so this came to me actually this week, and, um, and so I put all this on a graph the best that I can. So let me kind of explain this to you. On the left is the God line going from bottom to top, the bottom being void of God and the top being completely full of God. And the bottom is the man line. The man line goes from, from uh, left to right. And, and the man line <clears throat> is being, the left is being full of God and not focused on self. And then the right, the right would be fully focused on self and not focused on God. So, working from left to right, we would have our dogma which is closest to God, and then we work our way to our doctrine, and then we work our way to our convictions, and finally to our preferences. The farther you go to the left, the more you have of God. The farther you go to right, the more you have of man. The more you have of God, the less you have of self or personal things, and the more you have of man, the more you have of self or personal things. And so from just this simple graph, which of the four do you think God would have us make as a precedence, as a priority? We could take every one of the examples that I used in my introduction and wrestle them down to a specific bucket, um, and, and it wouldn't be that difficult. And you could do the same thing with your stories. But my point is this, adding our preferences to God's word is a dangerous practice. It will almost always lead to confusion, to disorder, and and ultimately to a warped view of who God really is. So let me give you a personal example. Maybe it will clarify some of this. 25 years ago, as a youth pastor, I found myself so busy helping young people follow Jesus that I wasn't following Jesus, if that's possible. We met Sunday mornings, we met Sunday nights, we met Wednesday nights. I was the junior high and the high school pastor, and we had small groups every night during the week that I was part of, plus I met with people during the day, and we had two little kids at home, and I was so busy, and Ann was too, that we we were doing God's work, but we weren't really connected to God. And uh, I began to notice that our ministry was kind of flat, and no one was really excited about Jesus, and and I realized that, that, that I had some things that I needed to, to, to work on. And so I went to a convention and happened to go to one of the breakout sessions. And I listened to a lady named Becky Tarabasi talk about how 20 years ago she had started spending every day with time alone with God. And she started to tell story after story after story how God had blessed that, how God had used it, and how her ministry had come alive when she started this practice. And so I came home and I decided 
that I wanted to spend time with God, the beginning of every day, with God in order for my life to begin to grow and thrive in my relationship with the Lord. The problem was we had two little babies at home, and the only time that I could find that was available was time when I was asleep. <laughs> and so I made the commitment to get up an hour earlier every day to spend time with the Lord. And I actually went farther. I actually made a commitment to do it for the rest of my life. And, you guys, it's been the best, one of the very best decisions I've ever made. That was almost 25 years ago, and the, that time alone with God has continued even to this morning. And it has changed my relationship with God. It's changed my life, and I'm so thankful because I've gotten to know God. I've spent literally thousands of hours reading my Bible, communicating with God, uh, interacting with Him, praying for many of you, praying for my kids, praying for everything that I can think of, listening to God. It's been awesome. So, that decision to do that, what bucket do you think that is? I hear whispers. <laughs> I think that's a personal conviction that I have. I think that's a personal conviction that, that I think God led me to do. But it's a personal conviction. Now let's say that I stand up here this morning and said, all right, team, if you, you want to have a viable, thriving relationship with God, you need to get up an hour earlier every day for the rest of your life. <laughs> what bucket would that fall under? Someone in first service said, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> the stupid bucket. They, they spoke it out. I think, I think that would be my personal preference for you. I think if you did it, it would change your lives like it's changed mine. But can you imagine if I actually said, this is what you need to do, and I began to push my personal preference upon you? What if I had it put on the sign outside that shined, get up an hour earlier and you will get to know Jesus? What if I started telling all the teens that? I'd have parents calling me like, what is wrong with you? You guys, do you see how when you take something that is personal and you begin to elevate it to a place where you're pushing it on someone else, how that can be dangerous? Can you imagine the guilt and condemnation that I could potentially lay on many of you if I took my personal preference, my personal convictions, and began to push it into something that you should take upon as your own, that you should own? My personal bias pushed upon you without you sensing God's leading would be wrong. It would be elevating a personal bias to your life. My point is this. Adding my preferences to God's word is dangerous. It's dangerous. Which brings me to my second point. And it's a really tough one. It's this. Make the main thing the main thing. Let me tell you what I mean by making the main thing the main thing. Our most main thing is our dogma. 
what we refer to as the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, being able to be in a relationship with God through the work of Jesus Christ. That's at the heart of the mission that Jesus has given us. That's God's heart. That's, that's the mission, to go into all the world, to go into all the world and, and to tell people about Jesus' love, to help them to become disciples, follower of Je- followers of Jesus, to teach them to obey the things that Jesus commanded, to, be, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's the mission that Jesus has sent out and called us to be part of. That, that is our dogma. That is our main thing. Listen to these two Scripture pieces out of the book of Luke. I do have these on the, on the screen. Here's the first one. For the Son of Man, and the Son of Man is just a reference to Jesus. The Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. And in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Our biggest goal is to help people accept the good news of Jesus, to follow Jesus. It's our dogma. It's the main thing, and it should be our main thing. I mean, listen to the passion in the heart of Jesus in this Scripture as Jesus is praying on the last night that He's here before He gets arrested and crucified. Here's what He says in in John 17. John 17, 3. He says, this is the way to eternal life. And in the ESV and in the NIV version, it's... It's, this is eternal life, to know you, the only true God, to know, K-N-O-W, you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Eternal life is defined by Jesus as a relationship with God. Being in fellowship with God is the main thing from God's perspective. We need to be about helping people recognize that God loves them and wants to be in a relationship with them. And if that's true, how much of a priority should our personal preferences be in contrast to God's heart to seek and to save those who are lost? We need to make the main thing the main thing. And the farther farther we move away from our dogma on the graph toward personal preferences, the more we give credence to human influences. The closer we stick to dogma, I believe the closer we stick to God's intention for us. So how do we practically apply this to our life? This is so simple, you guys, but I I just feel like I I have to highlight this. Here's how we apply it. Get to know Jesus. I spend so much time with young people. And do you know what their perception is from us, and I'm part of us, of what it means to follow Jesus? Their perception is you obey things. Their perception is you follow the rules. What if they picked up on something different? What if they picked up that the main thing is our relationship with God. Wouldn't that be amazing? Get to know Jesus. Knowing Jesus is having a relationship with God. 
God the Father and the Jesus and the power of the Spirit, focusing on behavior modification is nothing more than practicing religious actions. There's a big difference. Do you, do I have a viable relationship, a living, active, passionate relationship with God? Or do we just go through the motions? I think it's an important question to think about. Pour yourself into God's words, both personally and together with other Jesus followers. Find out what God's heart is by listening to what God is saying. God's word is inspired by God himself. God's words are how we learn from God, like we would learn from each other. If you want to get to know God, sit at his feet and listen to what he is saying. Communicate with God every day. And communication goes two ways. It means us speaking to God and then us listening as God speaks back to us. And finally, as we are growing in our relationship with God, we need to invest in others so that they can be in a relationship with God also. So that they can have a viable relationship with God. That's the mission that Jesus has called us all to. God's dream for us is that we would follow Jesus and then we would teach others to follow Jesus. That's the gospel in a nutshell. That's our main thing. In closing, focusing on our preferences may lead to behavior modification, but focusing on Jesus leads to heart transformation. And guess what heart transformation leads to? Behavior modification. We, we get it backwards sometimes. What would happen if we were actually so close to Jesus that we followed him wherever he leads us, both in the, our words and our actions every day? What would happen if we were unified as Jesus' followers, standing together on our dogma as the main focus of our lives? What if we were unified in supporting the leadership of our church family and the tenets of our local doctrine? And what if we realized our personal convictions and our personal preferences were really personal and not meant for everyone else? How powerful would our witness be if our compelling plea to others was God loves you and wants and longs to be in relationship with you. It's the most important thing in your whole life. If you're missing it, you are missing why you were created. That's the good news of the gospel and that's our main thing. So this week, may we know Jesus better May we grow as we follow him and may we grab some others and pull him to a relationship with Jesus too. Let's pray. God, help us. Oh, help us. Lord, we, we're so thankful that we can be in a relationship with you and we want others to see how exciting that is. And God, I ask that you would help us to turn the corner. You would help us, Lord, to not add to what you have said, but to make the main thing the main thing. And so, Lord, I thank you for my friends here. 
And we ask, God, that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would empower us to tell others this great news, and that people would come to know you, and that we would see it regularly, Lord. Turn the tide for us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.